0: Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I invite an actor or artist friend to watch an episode with me. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. Hey guys, welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. My guest this week is Matthew McDermid. I've known Matty for over a decade. He's an actor, a singer, producer, director. He's been running his own theater company for the last few years, and I'm I'm just really happy I got to talk to him again, and I got him on the show because, like... Most relationships during the pandemic, we have not been really in touch that much, and that definitely needed to change. So, this week, Maddie and I watched Season 6, Episode 24, It's Lonely at the Top, with an original air date of March 27th of 1985. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Matthew McDermott. Maddie McDermid, welcome to the show. How the hell are you, sweetie? Oh, I'm grand. I'm grand. It's so
1: nice to see you. You can't see me, but I can see you.
0: Oh, and that's all that really matters, isn't it, dear? It is. It is. It is not about seeing. It is about being seen, isn't it? For you especially. We have not talked in so bloody long, and that is just a damn friggin' shame.
1: It really is. We're busy people. We are. Funny.
0: Yeah. We are. I mean- you have your theater company that you run. I have my sitting around doing nothing that is not going to do itself.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but I think I some days I do wish our roles were reversed, my friend.
0: <laughs> uh, I, uh, Yeah. And actually, I have been working lately. I've been complaining. Listeners to the podcast will know. I've been talking about how I've taken on... <laughs> This, uh, this 12-week full-time internship with a uh, local theater, and it's just, it is kicking my ass to not just have to engage 40 hours a week, but to, to be using my mind, looking at spreadsheets and processing information that I haven't done since before I became a full-time actor, which is 12 years When you ago. were
1: selling stationery.
0: Yes. Yes. Fine legal stationery, engraved products, letterheads, thermography, lithography. I don't miss it.
1: I, I wouldn't either. <laughs>
0: no, not at all. So uh, talk to me about the facts of life. When I approached you and said, why the fuck haven't you done the show yet? You said you aren't familiar with the show. It's, it wasn't one that was on your radar, even in the reruns.
1: Um, not in the reruns. I did watch it, um, periodically when I was a kid. Um, you know, I'm a product of the eighties as, uh, a lot of us are, um, <laughs> I'm a product of the eighties. So I knew the show and I remember of course, Charlotte Ray, um, as most theatrical Queens would know. Um, but I didn't really know of, of Charlotte Ray's Broadway connection until after The Facts of Life. Um, I discovered it later when I discovered that she had been in the national tour of Into the Woods. And I was like, Mrs. Garrick was in the, the national <laughs> tour of yeah. Into the Woods. Um, and it was fascinating to me. And then, I, you know, of course, this was pre-internet. So it was hard to know all of her history without really digging and Then as I got older and discovered, Mrs. Garrett was also in the Three Petty Opera. Um, Then I watched the movie of Hair once. Oh, there's Mrs. Garrett. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was always Mrs. Garrett for me. Um, And then another thing I remember vividly about my uh, childhood experience with the facts of life. And I'm sure you've probably already done this episode. I don't know what the episode was called, um, but there was this episode where Blair was playing with a yo-yo Does this sound familiar? And all of a sudden she started um, doing these yo-yo tricks and she's like, now I'm going to do around the world. And she started swinging the yo-yo over her head. Mm -hmm. And I remember as a child finding that to be absolutely hysterical. (laughs) And I think I tried to recreate it at school once where nobody found it hilarious, but me.
0: Yeah, because everybody reacted like, you know, it was like suddenly this this flying... um, Ah, uh, missile was going to hit them at any point and injure them. Yeah, that goes back to the Eastland years, back when we were in the uh, at the school. Oh and yeah, I'm trying to remember what the episode was. I forget what what the I, episode was. I should know this. I mean, I, off my it's head,
1: very but. funny to me because you know that sticks out in my mind vividly more than television shows I have watched in its entirety, mm-hmm. and I have no idea why it sticks out so
0: much. Well, um, I want to talk more about uh, what you have been doing uh, during the pandemic and your theater company and all that fun stuff. But We're going to get to that in a little bit. For now, we are going to discuss season six, episode 24, It's Lonely at the Top. Um, Very different in... uh, Gay male circles when you, yeah. But anyway, it's if
1: <laughs> in Orlando, it's not so lonely when you're the top.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and honestly, if it's if it's lonely, you, you're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm um, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the original air date was March 27th of 1985. I remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> we met at nine. <laughs> It was eight. (laughs) (laughs) This episode was written by Jerry Mayer, one of the OG writers, one of the creators of the show. You'll notice he's in the opening credits. Yeah. This is, he's been with this show from the very, very, very beginning. And that's unusual. Uh, Yes. And also one would therefore expect the episode to be a little bit better. <laughs> and and a lot of discrepancies in timelines and uh a- a character things and events and just confusing stuff there's for a veteran writer that Mr. Mayer is Mr. sounds like Louis B Mayer I wonder if he's related
1: <gasps> Oh that's got you got to find out
0: yeah i suspect not i feel like i've looked him up and i would know that yeah. um, And the episode was directed by John Boab. John is the in-house director and will remain thus for pretty much the rest of the run over the next three seasons. And uh, now, Maddie, this is the point in the show where I put my guest on the spot and ask you if you would please provide a one to two sentence synopsis, very brief, of the entire episode, similar to what you might read in a TV guide, go. (sighs) Oh,
1: okay. Um, Mrs. Garrett goes out of town. Thanks a lot. No Mrs. Garrett in this episode. Um, And she leaves Joe in charge, but Blair gets all persnickety because she feels she should be left in charge with her brilliant business acumen. And nobody wants Blair to be in charge, but Joe's busy doing other things, so she lets Blair be in charge.
0: I love that you use the word acumen. We haven't had that word enough on this podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm surprised it came out of my mouth.
0: (laughs) So with your loose familiarity with the Facts of Life, did you remember Edna's Edibles? Do you remember how there are different kind of phases of the show? Very,
1: very, very vaguely. As it was starting, I was like, oh, yes. Okay. Um, I didn't remember the specifics of it. um, And but as the episode was progressing, I was like, this seems vaguely familiar as do a lot of their
0: haircuts. (laughs) Well, Blair's haircut you've seen on Joe Dirt. That's where you saw that one before.
1: Well, and I'm pretty sure when she appeared in Butterflies Are Free up at the Alhambra Dinner Theater, (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was the same haircut.
0: (laughs) Ah. Ah. (laughs) Oh, so are we ready to get into this? Let's do it. Let's do it. We do start the episode with the text credit for Ryan Cassidy in the role of Kevin and Mackenzie Astin in the role of Andy. That hasn't always been there, but this is a thing that only started happening with the acquisition of Ryan Cassidy for the cast. Typically, we have nothing at the beginning of the episode. It's just fade in and we go. And so goes. This was an odd thing that they started doing, and uh, spoiler alert, this is our final episode with Ryan Cassidy. So um, uh, another thing that has been happening little bits and pieces only sporadically is sometimes at the top of the episode, we get the exterior shot of Edna's edibles with uh, a little bit of a music, a little, little. In- synthesizer. Info a little synthesizer we even had a guitar at one point that's going to be back next season well none of that just we get the titles but no um exterior shot no music by the time we get to season seven which is just a few episodes away by the way then we get a complete change of aesthetic we go full on 80s full tilt with uh, electric guitars and title cards and a new font with a serif. And uh, it just, it goes crazy, Maddie. It's just crazy. I can't wait. (laughs) So uh, another thing I always talk about on the podcast is that there is the original broadcast version of the show. And then there is the syndicated version where they've taken out three minutes, usually to make room for more commercials. Of course. What you watched on dailymotion.com is the syndicated version. So there is three minutes fewer of what you saw than what I am synopsizing. And um, what they took out is just little bits and pieces, little snips, nips and tucks here and there. There's nothing really major. I think I only have one note of one thing that may be something that you didn't get to see and listeners. So
1: I was cheated out of Charlotte Ray and three minutes of quality facts of life viewing.
0: Quality? I feel cheated.
1: (laughs) Quality? Oh,
0: yeah. But it didn't even occur to me that you would have been all excited to have Charlotte Ray because um, perfect time to mention this. Uh, This is her final absence from this season. She took six episodes off. Well, what was she doing? Having a baby? I (laughs) (laughs) know. Well, it's just she was already in the process of wanting to reduce her time on the show. Of course. She was like, okay, I've been doing this long enough. The girls are growing up. I'm becoming an extraneous appendage in my own fucking show. So she, they did 26 episodes this season. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. So of the 26, they they taped 20 of them. And Charlotte Rae said, peace out, bitches, I'm done. And then they did the final six without her. And then they shuffled the deck and broadcast them out of order. So this episode is the last show taped for season six, but there are still two more to come in the broadcast chronology.
1: Well, that explains the difficulties and the continuity in the
0: season. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you ain't whistling Dixie, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... Uh, we start in the living room, and Joe is looking at her eye in a compact. And Blair makes some type of a crack about her practicing winking, and you should really wait for the guy to wink first, however long it's going to take the the guy to wink at you first. Right? Yeah. Wink, wink.
1: That's a double entendre.
0: Oh, and there are a few coming up. Yeah, we love that. Oh. <laughs> 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 But it turns out Joe is just examining her own eye because her uh, task and the thing that she will be doing this entire episode is making pieces and parts of a gigantic lion face. And the way Joe frames it is, she says she's building an eye for the Langley lion, which is their mascot that does track Mm -hmm. Langley being the college that Blair and Joe attend uh, for their student council float. No talk of a parade or an event or anything. She's just building a random float to just put on the street, I guess. And the purpose of this float is to try and influence the board to build a new student lounge. I'm not sure how that works. Well, I
1: mean, are we sure it's a parade float? Could it be like a pool float?
0: Uh,
1: I don't see how that would make them build a new... Student lounge either, but
0: yeah. Well, this is broadcasting in March, and it was probably filmed January, February. So they knew it was still going to be spring. Like March ain't pool weather up in Peakskill, New no. York. That's so, true. Um, I'm thinking we might have to accept, Maddie, that there are uh some writing problems with this episode. Huh. And uh there Did Ken might-
1: Ludwig write the episode. No. <laughs>
0: Oh, dear. They should have
1: brought in Neil Simon, the script doctor.
0: They need to punch up. They needed punch up. That's for sure. Uh, So um, this whole thing of joe the purpose of this little plot is that she is always too busy doing things to build this lion face. Even though the premise of it is weird, I don't hate it. At least it gives her something to do. Mm -hmm. And it fortunately... Um, takes away what could have been some fabricated conflict and uh, the fabricated conflict is thus Uh, Tootie and Natalie come in with Ryan and Andy and they have croissants that they want Blair to do a blindfolded taste test because there's this new uh, place in town called croissant my heart terrible name terrible
1: pun it's awful
0: croissant my heart so that's Because supposed- that's
1: not how you print.
0: yeah,
1: I mean, you don't em- emphasize cross and
0: croissant. Croissant, yeah. It's like, it should have been called croissant of a bitch or something. <laughs> yes. That would have been a better pun. <laughs> yeah. And again, cro- croissant is not derivative of the word for cross. Croissant is the French word for crescent. Right. Uh, so bad pun. Again, another little ding against uh, Mr. Mayor here. Um, so when Blair does the taste test, uh, according to Natalie, she picks the competition and it's like, oh, fuck, we're screwed. We've got this thing. And um, the the line that is written here is Mrs. Garrett. It's, it's going to the kitchen, Andy. Mrs. Garrett left a list of jobs for you to do while she is gone. Mrs. Garrett is just uh, cited as being out of town. We had this happen previously where it's Mrs. Garrett is out of town. But previous to that, her absences were uh, uh, precipitated by her almost marrying this man named Ted, a high school flame of hers, where they rekindled the romance and they almost rushed too quickly into getting married. Uh, But Ted is Ryan's father on the show oh so he's not just some random uh college boy that lives with them he's there because he's kind of sort of a part of the family ish except that there is no mention of his father or ted or mrs Garrett being with ted and this is the last episode tape for the season so as far as i understand i don't believe we reference ted ever again in the entire series so just throwing that out. There's a you know inconsistency that that doesn't really track o- over the several episodes. Um now one thing that Natalie has is a concern about the competitor, this this awful croissant in my heart. They are actually owned by the Federal Foods Corp. Corp. Yeah. This was very timely. This is the mid-80s. This is when like corporatization America was really in full swing, yeah, yeah. and you were starting to see. The, the bigger companies, the bigger corporations slowly start to push out the smaller mom and pop businesses. And, you know, thank God that stopped. Yeah. Capitalism. <laughs> but anyway, the whole big thing is, what are we going to do about this? This new competitors come in. Oh, my God, what do we do? And Tootie and Natalie are like, well, let's ask Joe. She's in charge. And Blair's like, oh, whoa, Mrs. Garrett didn't leave Joe in charge. And she's like, I've been a junior executive at a major corporation. And my response is, "Uh, when? (laughs) During the summer? No, you've gone to Paris during the summer. No, we know that you spent last summer with your now ex fiancé named Cliff on his family's farm in Iowa. So there's not been a lot of wiggle room with Blair uh, having the ability to be in some type of a major position with her dad's corporation. Uh, but nonetheless, Blair pushes back, even though it's clear Tootie and Natalie are kind of like, <laughs> we, we wish Joe was in charge. <laughs> and really and truly since Edna's Edibles opened uh, at the beginning of last season, Joe really has been the sort of de facto store manager. She's always been the one checking the books, talking about profits, running the show. And it, it seems to suit her well. I liked when they had her. Doing that, I kind of wish they continued that through line with her into her adulthood and career in the subsequent seasons, but sadly they do not. Um, but that is something that does track. To give credit where it is due, it does kind of track that it's sort of a foregone conclusion that, yeah, Joe would be the one running the show here. Blair's the spoiled little princess doesn't like to get her fingernails dirty, you know?
1: Right. I, w- I mean, you, I mean, Lord knows she's not going to be one of the grunt workers, that's
0: for sure. Yeah. Um, But Joe says that she and Mrs. Garrett checked out this new place on their way to the airport yesterday. So apparently Mrs. Garrett came back from this non-honeymoon with her not new husband and then decided to skip town again because she only left the previous day. That's weird, too. That doesn't track. Just just got to go on record saying all these things, Maddie, that don't track. (laughs) Uh, But. Joe says that Missus Garrett's uh, spin on this other business, as she says, "Don't worry, people. I have to do it. In my my bad, Missus Garrett voice is. Don't worry, people <laughs> will pay for quality. And there's room for more than one croissant place in town." Whenever you are inspired, Maddie, you may feel free to join me with your bad Mrs. Garrett impression to to uh, augment my bad Mrs. Garrett impression.
1: Well, thank you. All to I hope I think of something clever to say. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the other thing she says. But this, I have a question: Is there really, 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 and I mean really, in this very small
0: town, room for two croissant places? <laughs> um, I would argue yes. Because Mrs. Garrett's place carries more than fucking croissants. She's not a croissant store. She's a gourmet food store. So yeah. they have all kinds of things. And we are going to talk a little bit more about that as well uh, coming up. Because uh, the demarcation of exactly what specific type of establishment this is has been, how say, sloppy over the last yeah. years we will be getting into that. Um, So uh, when it did come down to, so what did Mrs. Garrett say about how to handle the shop and the business? And Joe says, eh, she just kind of left it up to us, you know? And so Blair is still dubious. She still suspects that Mrs. Garrett left Joe in charge and Joe isn't telling her. So Blair argues her case and she says, look, Joe, I'm older than you, it, it, only by months. They're the same age. <laughs> I need to break the news to you. You're both college sophomores. Um, Blair says, so I. So it's had-
1: not like me saying, David, you're older than me. So that makes you, you would always be left as the boss because you're older than me.
0: Oh, I see. And you would always be left as the bitch for constantly pointing <laughs> out how much older I am than you. Yes. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> um, So um, Blair basically says, I've had more business courses than you. Not sure we've ever, ever heard Blair talking about taking a business course. We barely see these girls hitting the books, these two, Mm -hmm. really. Um, But Blair says, I've been groomed for leadership since childhood. And so Joe says, you know what? I agree. I have to take care of making this float. So you have at it. Be in charge. Run the shop. You've got my blessing. And uh, that's a good thing because... A lesser episode, a worse episode would have had the two of them trying to do it together and them butting heads. And in fact, Joe really does steer clear of stuff in this episode. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. And I'm going to go even further. She doesn't just steer clear of letting Blair run the show there's even a point where tootie and natalie are kind of balking and joe says we left ms warner in charge we should do what she says we should try it out joe is uh actually very supportive of her girlfriend here why do you think that is um convenience just to <laughs> have other stuff to deal with on the plot of the show <laughs> really um but it's okay because blair and joe fighting that's we get a lot of that we just had that last week and the thing is when they were teenagers yes joe would call blair the spoiled princess and blair would call joe uh the uncouth um poor lesbian (laughs) there's the i couldn't think of the word there it is thank (laughs) you um so you know that's what they would have done as teenagers they're adults they're 20. it's like you know this is they are friends now So I'm glad they didn't revert to that state of their relationship. That did make me happy. I will credit the episode with that. Um, So Tootie and Natalie are skeptical, but they go along with it. And off we go. And it is dropped somewhere that Blair's dad is even coming into town. You know, funny, we should be talking about all the work I have done for his corporation that you've never heard of. Yeah. And um, uh, now we do know that Blair did have a sort of uh, position in name only the last time blair's dad appeared on the show it was the the conflict the the drama of the episode was that blair through having uh, a tax audit discovers that her dad had kind of been using her as a tax shelter Uh oh and uh that caused a strain on their relationship maddie oh man i guess it would yeah so uh, it is interesting that what we know of her involvement with the company was kind of like a in name only. It's like, we we just call you a consultant and that way we can, you know, make you into a corporation and file your taxes differently or something. I don't know. Um, Isn't that what parents do every tax season? Make their children I mean, maybe not, corporations? Well,
1: not corporations, but they use them to get more money.
0: Well... I mean, you got to give them something because when everything is over and they get their tax refund, they still have to have the kids around.
1: Yeah, oh, that's for, uh, my mother would agree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then uh, in the next scene in the living room, we have Blair with her dad, David Warner, played by the wonderful Nicholas Koster. Uh, Nicholas Coster, by the way, Maddie, is still alive. 87 years old, still working. Well, good for him. I couldn't believe it. He's got multiple projects that are dated last year and coming up, and it's, it's amazing. Now, most people... Well, someone
1: from- had to replace Don Knotts in those non-equity national tours. <laughs> <laughs> of Norman Is That You? Offensive, gay, baiting 80s plays.
0: Someone had to do Love Letters with Olivia de Havilland. (laughs) I Uh, wonder
1: who gets top billing.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. (laughs) Um, But Nicholas Koster is probably best known for playing Lionel Lockridge. God, I love soap names so much. Yeah. Lionel Lockridge in 586 episodes of Santa Barbara. Between 1984 and 1993. Holy shit, that's a lot. So this is Nicholas Coster's second of five appearances as Blair's father. Uh, And it has been three years since that previous appearance. It's been a while since we've seen David Warner. And uh, funny, just last week, we had Blair's mother and Joe's dad. So we're, we're, we're bringing in the parents. They had some extra money to spend on uh, on the actors this season, apparently. Well, sure, because Charlotte Ray wasn't there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they still paid her. Something <laughs> I'm else. sure
1: they did, too. <laughs> yeah
0: but um, Blair is talking about how her friends have put her in charge. She's exaggerating a little bit as to how enthusiastically they did. And he is proud of her. He's do- he's great. He's a supportive dad. And he's like, wow, you're running the place. And Blair says, I'm thinking about all the changes I can make. And he says, well, don't do too much at first. First rule though, do a lot of listening. And Blair goes, excuse me, huh? <laughs> Perfect, Joe, for Blair. So then we move on to the next morning. In the kitchen, Tootie and Natalie are comatose because it's so early in the morning that Blair has called them in to start doing some of the baking for the shop. Joe is painting a basketball black, which is going to be, we learn, the lion's nose. Joe does not lift a finger to help with the baking, even though she is as much a partner as... In the establishment, she has to work at Edna's Edibles to work her way to have a place to live, but uh, clearly no one is concerned about that, and no one's calling her out uh, for her lack of contribution, but whatever. And uh, Kevin is standing by, also doing nothing. So then Tootie and Natalie talk about they have dates that night, and... um, uh, and then Blair comes in carrying a purse, almost like an attache, like a like a businesswoman kind of a thing. And then she talks about the motivating talk with her dad the night before. Let's chat for a minute. It's like she calls a sort of a, a company meeting and uh, says she's got some great suggestions from her dad from his factory workers in Tokyo. Uh, because, you know, her dad's a big fucking deal, Maddie. I don't know if you caught on to this.
1: I, I sensed it.
0: But then Blair starts talking about, well, our efficiency is low, let's check our aptitude and go through some different tasks and see where we can improve and blah, blah, blah. And then she puts Tootie and Natalie to sort of a timer test to see how quickly they can make croissants. Did you notice anything about the production of the croissants, Maddie? No. (laughs) Have you ever seen a croissant being made?
1: Yes, I have actually.
0: Did it look anything like what Tootie and Natalie were doing? in this No, episode?
1: no, I guess it didn't.
0: <laughs> they were grabbing strips of dough and just kind of <clears throat> flinging them around like a hammock, spinning a hammock over itself or something. I think and that's how you
1: make pretzels.
0: That's exactly. Or even uh, doughnuts. You could also do a twist, like a cruller. Oh, yeah. If you were deep frying the dough. But it's, it's a croissant. Just shows you how, to, how out of touch. Hollywood actually is <laughs> with the simple folk <laughs> like <laughs> what me and do the off? simple folk do <laughs> um, so while Blair starts timing them she starts playing kabuki music and a little bit that is cut from syndication is she says oh playing the music in the Tokyo plant really did increase productivity there so that's why I'm doing it and <laughs> uh, the other thing that is cut that is appalling is Joe says, look, maybe you should do this another time because there is still a lot of baking to be done and the shop opens in two hours. And Blair goes, actually, it opens in three. She changed all of their clocks so that they would wake up an hour earlier and didn't tell them. Oh my God. I can't believe they didn't choke her right on the spot. I was going
1: to say, I would kill her.
0: (laughs) But um, as she exits the kitchen, Joe almost throws the, the wet black painted basketball at her, but Ryan stops her. Ryan is kind of sort of Joe's boyfriend, but not really uh, because he's not a woman. Um, <laughs> but we do have the joke of him grabbing the basketball to keep her from injuring Blair. And of course, the black wet paint is all over his hands now. Ha ha! Comedy! <laughs> so the next scene, we're back in the shop. Uh, we're all coming out of the kitchen, so they're all exhausted. Tootie, Natalie, Kevin, and Andy. And as they're like, oh, "Oh my god, this is crazy! I'm so tired." Andy does this hilarious physical bit where he sits up on the counter and then lays across the gap, like a like a precursor, <laughs> like a precursor to planking, where. Like, if they could have somehow pushed him open and closed like a gate, it would have even been more amazing. (laughs) But here is the point, Maddie, where I have to admit, as you can tell, I'm not really loving this episode. I, I didn't start this podcast with a lot of love in my heart for this episode. And we are arriving at the moment that really was the final nail in the coffin. When Andy, as he's tired with his face buried in the counter, says, When did you say Mrs. Garrett would be back? And Tootie replies, Four days. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Wait, wait a fuck, (laughs) goddamn shit. Hell (laughs) fuck. What? All of this shit of Blair of who's in charge and all the sweeping changes I'm going to make and increasing productivity. She's only going to be gone for fucking days. (laughs) I Do what you normally do every other day of the week and maybe do a little more of it to accommodate that Mrs. Garrett ain't there to help you as usual. What the fuck? So basically at this point in the episode, Maddie, I'm out. I'm done. I am fucking through with it. I am done. So we will now proceed from this point on to the end of the episode to hate watch it. Yes. And um, so with that, with that happening, they're all tired. And uh, we know Joe is off doing something with her float. Uh, which I think is a euphemism. Uh, (laughs) Blair shows up through the front door in a pink Knight of the Mary Kay Commando's power suit with shoulder pads from hell. Her hair is up. She looks fucking amazing. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. She also looks 45 years old.
1: Well, yeah. She looks like Angela Bauer from Who's the
0: Boss? Oh my god! Oh my god! She does look like Judith Light. Absolutely. Oh my god! I never thought of that. I mean, granted, I think of Judith Light as having that croaky voice, that that you know, I think aged her a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, oh my god, that is such a thing that that Angela would have worn. Holy shit! So, no sooner do the girls start talking about. Uh, Tootie and Natalie have dates for that night. And uh, Blair says, uh, no, no, you can't go on your dates. We're staying open till 11 o'clock tonight. It's like, wait, ho, who did what in the where? And she's like, well, I checked out the competition. That awfully named place is staying open until 11 p.m. And they are doing a special where they are offering a bottomless cup of coffee and two so Blair took out an ad in the Guild Press advertising that Edna's Edibles would be doing the same thing. And then she says, so I don't know what a bottomless cup is, but we need to get some right away so we can serve the coffee in it. Lord. And the girls do say, Blair, that's not a type of cup. That means you pay one price and we never stop pouring it. She's like, oh, okay. And what is a twofer again? And they're oh, like... God. Two for, two for one. You pay for one and you get one free. And she's like, oh, ooh, ooh. And anyhow, she's like, well, well. regardless of that, we have to be prepared. People are going to be showing up anytime now. And Tootie and Natalie are like, no, we protest. We're going out on our dates. And then another weird line. Mrs. Garrett doesn't allow you girls to date on school nights. But... I'm allowed to tell you to stay up until 11 o'clock working? Slave labor. (laughs) Exactly. And we did have a Mrs. Garrett and Blair locking horns a few weeks ago where we were getting into this territory of the girls are getting older. What are the house rules as far as respect, being respectful of each other versus it being, you know, like a, a parental, you're in the army now type of a thing so um mm-hmm. it was it was really interesting and then to hear that come out and to be like i just oh that really rubbed me the wrong way that mrs garrett has rules for the girls that she doesn't let them date on school why couldn't they date on a school night you go out i to- mean it's not like
1: they're 14
0: yeah no tootie is 16 and natalie is 17 they are perfectly capable of going to the arcade, playing a couple of rounds of Donkey Kong, maybe some Galaga, maybe some Ms. Pac-Man, and then coming home. Is Donkey Kong a double entendre? It can be if you want it to be. (laughs) So Tootie and Natalie are like, well, guess what? We're still going on our date, go fuck yourself. So no sooner does Blair learn that she doesn't have Tootie and Natalie to help her. and, And Andy and Kevin have gone off to go see a hockey game, apparently. Then in comes this old guy. It is comedian, character, actor Bill Dana. Did you recognize him? I did recognize him, but I did not know from what. Most people who are (laughs) sitcom aficionados will remember him as Uncle Angelo on the Golden Girls. That's the same guy? He played Uncle Angelo on six episodes starting in 1988. So, three years later. Three more years. Mm-hmm. And, and Angelo is the brother to Sofia Petrillo. to right. So yeah, that's probably one of his most uh, highest profile roles, but a ton of series of older stuff. And he actually has appeared on the facts of life before in the episode where Joe's boyfriend, Eddie shows up. This is back in season two. Now in season two, Joe's uh, boyfriend, who was in the Navy, Eddie, shows up and decides he wants to get married, even though she is 16 and he is 18. So they kind of run off together and they go to stay in a hotel and Mrs. Garrett and Blair chase after them and they have to go to the hotel manager to find out what room they're in. Bill Dana plays the hotel manager. Continuity. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly.
0: so this um so this old guy comes in and and he's is this the place with the bottomless cup and the twofer yes come on in and a whole crowd of people start coming into the store (laughs) and as soon as Blair realizes oh shit this is going to be busy Joe is like still working on my lion head the entire committee is waiting for me and by the way this committee last season Joe was on the board of regents I don't quite still fully understand what that was, but she was in some type of a student government position. And I wish they had just called this a, a regents thing because this is now being called student council. Student council is that that sounds like high school, doesn't it? I mean, I got, I mean, I think in, in
1: college they have like student councils.
0: I, I wasn't on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't either. I was in the chorus, I was singing. I was never in the chorus. <laughs> it's an extremely modern operetta. <laughs> oh, God, I miss you, Maddie. God, I wish I could.
1: I miss you that. too.
0: <laughs> so, the the last image of Joe is got to go work on this lion head and I just finished the tongue. And she grabs what is the size of it's like the size of a twin mattress maybe not quite that big but it is a gigantic painted tongue it's it's awesome i want it that really, I want to hang out on my i way.
1: was shocked that i was able to recognize what it was supposed to be immediately it's i mean it
0: was good painting work front. girl yeah you did a good job with it and then her last line is i hope this fits on the back of my bike <laughs> Uh, because when you are a, a, a lesbian and you do have a large tongue, one does hope that it will fit on the back of your bike. Matthew Arder and I have a um a diesel engine sound effect that we'll just occasionally just go <laughs> anytime there's these super super lesbianic references. But um, but with Blair all alone in the store and a crowd of people filing in, we go to commercial. What is going to happen? Well, I'm
1: man. on the edge of my seat.
0: <laughs> well, you're going to have to stay there for a little bit longer because commercial break is where I like to do a little bit of an interview with my guest, introduce you and your artistry to my tens of listeners. And uh, talk a little bit about uh, your, your beginnings, your humble beginnings, and uh, what got you to where you are today. So tell me, please, Matthew, Jay, McDermid, where were you born?
1: I was actually born in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Really?
0: Yeah. See, to me, you are a Florida boy through and through. When did you come well,
1: and, to Florida? And that's totally fair, because uh, I have lived... I've lived in this area since I was, uh, a baby really. Oh, um, my, that young. My, wow. Uh, I'm my mom and my dad divorced when I was probably one years old or so. And, uh, we moved down here, um, because my mom's mom lived down here. So, um, I've lived here essentially my whole life. So I was born in New, in New Jersey, but I, went to school here. I graduated high school in New Smyrna Beach. So I've been, you know, I'm, I'm essentially a Florida boy recovering New (laughs) Jersey.
0: Very nice. And uh, when did you start getting into the theater?
1: Uh, well, interestingly enough, my aunt um, took me to see um my first Broadway show in like nineteen when I was in third grade. Ooh. Um she took me to see uh, the last cast of the original run of a chorus line. Um, that was when I sort of realized that was something that I wanted to do forever. Um, and from that time on, i was I was hooked, and anything I could, go see i would see of course i had grown up watching um movie musicals and old movies because um, anytime i stayed home from from school sick my mom would go to the library and get old movies for me to watch because she knew they wouldn't be uh too dirty you know Mm -hmm. so i grew up watching um stuff like seven brides for seven brothers and um the king and i and all those rogers and hammerstein musicals um so it's um it It was sort of a given, but it was also in my um in my blood because my um my great grandmother on my mom's side um we deal bar <laughs> no no her my, <laughs> my mother's father's mother was um on Broadway in life with father <gasps> um, and my mother's father was actually um one of the original little rascals. Um, before Alfalfa and all of them, there was a set of boys um, on the show and my grandfather was one of them. He Which was, character? Um, I don't even know. And I'm so embarrassed that I don't know the guy, the role, the name of the man, he of the boy he played. Um, but he was really close friends with Dick Van Patten. Um, and he was you know, but he got out of it. He got out of it really fast. He was not into it. I'll have to send you the article because there's a picture of him, you know, on the bike that he rode on the show, but he wasn't, I mean, he didn't stick with it. He wasn't into it. Um, but I guess it was just in my blood. He, um, he died young. So I wasn't really able to ask him about it when I started to get into it. Um, but I guess it was sort of inevitable. Um, and then I went to college, got myself a bachelor's degree in musical theater, because, you know, that's what every mother wants their
0: child to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> All the way to the bank, my friends.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Don't you want to major in English? Uh, no, not really. Um, I taught high school for a few years. Um, I, then I started professionally stage managing. Um, And then um, I really entered into directing, doing a lot of directing. um, And that's been my primary focus for the last 15 years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started a theater company. Uh, This is, we're in our third season now. Um, Mm -hmm. We started uh, two years ago, this, this weekend actually um we started with other desert cities and we've been um going pretty much full steam ever since um yeah and so you guys have been
0: doing a socially distanced you've been you've been trying to do covid friendly productions that audiences can yeah we've we,
1: we found a way to do it safely and i and i you know i there are a lot of people that will are judgy and say oh nobody should be doing it and blah 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 And you know I say I see some merit to that as well but um I also see the merit and the importance of the arts and if there's a way to do it safely do it yeah. um and obviously and- audiences are not as large as they can be or or we, what we would like them to be but um the audiences have been decent you know and I'm continue to do work that's important and stories that are important to be told and um And we've been very safe about doing it. So, um, I'm really proud of the work we've done in this pandemic world. It's called the Ensemble Company. Um, We're in residence at Penguin Point Productions, which is owned by James Remlinger, another Facts of Life aficionado, Uh,
0: friend of the podcast, and friend of the podcast than I do actually. Um,
1: Yeah, he's he he has an obsession with Lisa Welchel.
0: Totally. Got an,
1: actually, at Penguin Point, there is an autographed photo on display of Lisa Welchel. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, he's going to be so thrilled that I was on this podcast. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> oh, but, yes. Uh, no, this will give you a lot of currency in Brendlingerland. Land.
1: It's true. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> All right, Maddie McDermott, enough about you. We got to get back to the facts of life. Back to it. We come back to the shop and the place is busy. The joint is jumping. And Blair is running around waiting on the customers like a crazy person. And I have one question. Why? Yeah. This is where we get into the what the fuck is Edna's edibles question.
1: Well, and I have to ask you a question because, you know, this is the only episode I've watched in years and certainly the only episode that I remember now of Edna's edibles that place does not look like a a shop that sells
0: food oh you don't think so with all the hanging garlic and the bread and the baskets with pasta
1: well I mean maybe I mean I Maybe no bread shop I've ever been, but maybe, maybe in New York, that's what they look like. I don't know. I just, you know, it doesn't look, it looks like, you know, a TV set to me, but it doesn't look like um, a cafe,
0: so to speak. Very, very good observation. And just last week, Maddie, Natalie Dolliner was my guest and she commented how, Isn't it bizarre that they were making instant coffee in the kitchen as they were having dinner in the dining room? And she's like, this is supposed to be a gourmet shop. It should have fancy coffee and all that stuff. And I said, well, Natalie, not really. I argued and said, no, this place is a gourmet food shop. And over the year and a half, almost two years now that they have existed there, they have sold strudel, croissants, baked goods like cheesecakes, we know they make hors d'oeuvres for catering, but there also have been submarine sandwiches. There have also been freshly home ground bratwurst, like that's, a fucking butcher. Like That's oddly specific. Isn't it though? It was so ridiculous. And then the fact that we have these little cafe tables... And I argued that this place, yeah, those are cafe tables. This is not a cafe in the classic sense that they don't serve coffee. (laughs) It's not a coffee shop. This is not a Starbucks. Well, guess what? I'm wrong. Thanks, Facts of Life made a fucking liar out of me. How rude. (laughs) How dare you? So uh, with this... We now have Blair running around with a coffee pot filling people's coffee and people giving her orders uh, in a little bit that's cut from syndication. A woman is like, I'll take a chocolate chip croissant and I want extra uh, fudge on it and whipped cream. It's like, bitch, you're not ordering a sundae. (laughs) And uh, oh, and I need some, do you have decaf? No, all we have is calf. Well, if I could have some packets of sweet and low for the coffee. And I've said this before. Yes, the tables are there where people can sit and eat the food if they want to. However, there is no reason this business establishment could not and should not be a counter service establishment. Meaning, I'm not running around running a fucking coffee pot to you. You need a refill of coffee, you come up to the counter. You wanna place an order, you come up to the counter. It's, Blair should not have had to leave that showcase. Only oh, to run into the kitchen. The,
1: of all the girls on the facts of life, the most like, least likely to be a server <laughs> is Blair.
0: Yes, so true, so true. And honestly, she does uh, handle it with with grace. With you know, she she realizes that she's this is what she's stuck with, so she's making the best of the situation. Anyway, so now we are also a table service Starbucks on top of all the other bullshit that we've had to go through with what is this business anyway. Um, Uncle Angelo is playing chess with himself. (laughs) That is not a euphemism. He's literally moving a chess piece, getting up from the chair and going to the other side. Um, So then uh, Blair's dad comes in to check on her. He follows her into the kitchen. Uh, He does drop that when he was uh, working his first job when he was a sophomore at Langley. We, I don't think, ever dropped anything that Blair's dad also went to Langley College. We know that Blair's mother went there. So now it's like, oh, did they meet at college? I'm not sure that tracks because Blair's mother had three husbands. Blair's mother is one of those triple divorcees, you know? And so Blair's mother, I don't think, was married to him that long ago because her, her mother's last name is Warner. She still has her ex-husband's last name. So this guy is the most recent husband. Uh, so it's, it's just very, 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 very weird.
1: Well, maybe it was a situation where she didn't uh, marry her true love first.
0: Do you think they put that much thought into this, Maddie? really?
1: Well, no. Actually, I really <laughs> don't think they did.
0: <laughs> oh, bless. But um, he asks Blair, well, where, is, where are the others? Why aren't they helping you? And she's like, I gave them the night off. And then uh, finally she says, okay, they walked out on me. And then she says, honestly, dad, and this is a really interesting moment where she says, honestly, daddy, I really blew it. I would have deserted me too. Uh, so she is, the, the cool thing is that she's running ragged She's doing this job that is definitely well, well below her pay grade. And <laughs> she completely understands that she's gotten herself into this situation, which I think on one hand is good, but we're going to talk a little bit more about it uh, later in the bigger picture. But then she says to her dad, well, I'm open late because I checked out the competition and I matched what they did. And he says, bad move. Uh, and he doesn't fully explain that. Uh, But then she pulls out of the oven some anchovy garlic croissants, a Blair original. I'm going to say that again. Anchovy garlic croissants. Um. (laughs) That silence is me speechless. That's that's not even a joke. It's just a... What?
1: And why... Blair would never in a million years eat that herself.
0: Yeah, now it was like brie and caviar or something hoity-toity. Right. And wouldn't it have been cool if after all the dust settles, have them say so what are these things that you made oh they're you know i had to throw it together because we ran out of other supplies was so crazy and have the girls be like this is really interesting and good we should add this let's let's make mrs garrett uh add this to what we offer that would have been a kind of interesting little uh byproduct of this but to go for just the gross out joke of anchovy garlic croissants and the end of the scene is Blair's dad picks one up and starts to eat it and then catches himself realizing, I don't wanna put this in my mouth, ew. Yeah, but I've had um, that experience. Yeah, anyway, um, but he is supportive. We're we're having nice father-daughter moments where he's being supportive of her even though she really isn't in a position to truly take it in and absorb it. Um, So then we have these two hockey dudes They're drinking beers, and Blair's like, oh, no, 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 can't have alcohol here. And they're like, it's okay, we'll get rid of it. And they start to chug, and she pulls the cans away from them and throws them away. And uh, we see on the back of their shirts that they are from a college named Braddock, Braddock College or Braddock University. That is a fictional college that does not exist. Uh, But these two guys are really sad because they've just lost the big hockey game. And the two actors playing them are pretty awesome, I think. Mm-hmm. We've got Garth, who's kind of the, the smart one, I guess, played by actor Dean Hamilton, who is, uh, doesn't have that many acting credits, but uh, nowadays he seems to have moved more into the writing, producing, directing side of things. And the part of fielding the other one, the dumb guy, did you recognize him, Maddie? Uh, I didn't. He is played by Peter Deluise, son of Dom Deluise. and he looks like him. When you when you when I, you find that out, you look at like, oh yeah, I totally see. Well, now it. I'm going to have to go back and look because yeah. I
1: was, I mean, wow.
0: Yeah, and he's funny. He's really funny. He is funny. Yeah. Now I remember his brother Michael Deluise, who is also an actor. In fact, Michael Deluise is more of an actor than. Peter, this guy here, Peter, he would also move into directing and he still is working in the biz today. But both Peter and Michael DeLuise uh, were on uh, 21 Jump Street.
1: Were they replacements for like Johnny Depp? Uh,
0: no, because um, at least Peter was on 91 episodes and there were okay, only 100 so and something were... episodes. So he was a regular for most for the of the same theory. thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Same time. Yeah. So, they're really sad. And Peter is funny, man. His comedic <laughs> timing of going, oh, We lost the game eight to two. And he does this funny gesture with his hands, this funny close shrug with his hands close to his face, going, What went wrong? I wonder <laughs> where he got that timing from. I know, gee, hmm. Uh, so, Garth, the other actor, starts rubbing Blair's shoulders and trying to get friendly with her. And it's like, get your goddamn hands off of my Blair. Granted, it is 1985. Consent did not exist. Um, But uh, yeah, she quickly pulls away. And um, as they're arguing about what went wrong in this hockey game, Uh, They start kind of arguing because, of course, they've been drinking. So there's a little bit of alcohol uh, grease in the wheel works here. And it's like, I'll bet you I could hit this hockey puck over to that barrel, meaning one of the display barrels. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can hit it right, right over there. And Blair's like, you're not hitting a fucking hockey puck in the store. You could break something. So then Kevin and Andy come in. And remember, they were at the hockey game. Right. So... Andy's got a sign that's awesome. It says Braddock stinks on ice. (laughs) Okay. I'll give you that joke. That's great. And they're like, yeah, we crushed them. Woohoo! We were the underdogs and all. And very quickly, Blair's like, shut up. I got these two maybe tipsy guys who are trying to do some weird shit here. Um, So as Blair is still trying to get them to not hit a hockey puck in the store, kevin tries to intervene and he tries to help and we have this standoff between kevin and garth and as they're fighting garth walks over and kind of flicks the top of his hair and his hair is insanely high isn't it mm-hmm. it's it's like defying gravity amazing 80s hair very on point but he calls him goldilocks do you remember what Kevin called him as he flicked his hair back in, in return?
1: I didn't realize there was going to be a quiz.
0: Okay, that's fine. I've got you. <laughs> so then Kevin r- responds in kind with, oh, well, suits me, frog face. Frog as, face. As he flicks the guy's hair. But the way he says frog face, it does sound a little bit like it calls him a fuck face. I am very okay with that.
1: What is it you can't face?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then Blair threatens to mace them, but they say that is air freshener. And Blair says, go ahead, make my day. (laughs) And in a rare moment, they actually cite the source, and he turns to her and says, I saw Dirty Harry. And uh, it's like, oh, that's not, usually they'll do that thing and not actually tell you where it's from, but that is where it's from. It's Clint Eastwood. It was big right. in the 80s, big thing in the 80s, so. Um, so then it keeps escalating. There's gonna be a fight. Uh, Tootie and Natalie come in and uh, Kevin throws the puck outside and they're about to throw down. And Maddie, I have used the term vaudevillian writers. this show because sometimes the language that they use the humor uh, and the the words they put into the mouths of these teenaged slash young women and here is one lulu of a little speech where blair finally has had it and she says kevin i really appreciate you coming to my rescue but you're a ninny too Typical male, macho, piffle. piffle. We have to stop. Uh, the words <laughs> ninny and piffle have just come out of the mouth of a 20 year old woman in 1985. What the shit? There is only one woman who could make
1: that line work. Dixie Carter as <laughs> Julia Sugarbaker.
0: <laughs> oh, oh you
1: <laughs> you piffle
0: that would be awesome may she all rest in people, peace oh those people don't appreciate suzanne well that's just a lot of piffle <laughs> the the trouble is this is a great speech in fact i wanted it to go further Blair goes on to say Even Andy, and Andy, little Andy had tried to intervene and they basically picked him up and he had to be rescued. But she says, even Andy, who isn't much bigger than a hockey puck is ready to slug it out. And why? Over one lousy hockey game. And so she says, all right, go out there and cave each other's faces in. If things don't go your way, try violence. But I'll tell you one thing you're not going to do. You're not going to destroy Mrs. Garrett's shop. And I want you to get your stuff and get out of here. And so Blair quickly ovaries up, man, and goes after them. I really wish it had been taken another step further. Like I would have loved it if Blair had grabbed the hockey stick and said, you are not going to do this. And if you don't get out of here right now, I am going to hit you so hard in the kneecaps, you will be wishing you were able to play hockey and lose a game to Langley. Like I wanted her to threaten them with the violence right back as in, Absolutely. okay, is this what it takes? Is this how I have to talk to you fucking Neanderthals? I am fucking done. I would have loved it. It's a great moment, but I would have loved it if it had went even further.
1: Well, and I could have, I mean, with the, with the overall theme of the feminism of the episode, which you discover towards the end of it when she, well, we don't want to spoil anything, but it's kind of a feminist episode because of um, how she tells her father she's not going to work for him That's you know this summer and she's going to go work for the competition. You know, she's an independent woman, so that would have been nice to have her uh, go off on them like that and stick up for herself, um, yeah. which was not hugely common for women to do on sitcoms in the 80s.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely not. So uh, yeah. Agreed. Totally agreed. So then uh, Tootie and Natalie and, and Andy and Ryan, they're all like, wow, Blair, like they're really impressed. And, and as the fight was about to sort of start to take shape, the customers all cleared out. Like the room is empty now. So uh, there's a great line. This is I think one of Ryan's best lines of all five episodes that he is in i'm sorry kevin ryan playing kevin and he says to her well blair you saved that guy's life
1: because
0: because <laughs> he would have gotten the chair for killing me <laughs> <laughs> good joke i approve um so then joe and dad david blair's dad enter um so she comes in and she says Ugh, you leave something up to the committee and they make the mouth too small. So now I got to spend the rest of the night making this thing smaller. So, so, so Joe, um, w- what I'm hearing is that your tongue is too big. For the hole. Uh-huh, a little too big. And, you know, knowing that you are very interested in obtaining your liquor license <laughs> Mr. Blair. Um, just saying that so um and allegedly what happened is he saw her on her bike with this tongue heading back and he was in his limousine so he picked her up and he says it's a good thing the tongue fit into the limo and i'm thinking oh so joe got her tongue inside something of blair's oh uh, yeah <laughs> um but he said he was checking out the competition and all he said was they're not knocking him dead how's it going here And they said, knocking them dead, almost. So it's kind of not really reinforced whether there's any type of a competition winner or loser or advantage or disadvantage. It's just kind of abandoned. Um, But the dad does say, I really think you could have used my help. And Tootie and Natalie are like, no, she didn't. We just watched her. Blair had this handled. She's a chip off the old block. And... To her credit, Blair downplays it, whereas earlier she was kind of trying to elevate herself and was exaggerating the girls wanting her to be in charge. Now she's just like, just that guy, come on, let's just, let's clean up, close the door and do it. So that's a, that's a nice little uh, moment for Blair also. And then as Joe carries her tongue back into the kitchen, she notices all of the money in the cash register, the piles and piles of money which is clearly visible, do not exist. (laughs) It is clearly an empty cash drawer. Epic props fail. She just stands there and looks at it. Normally, I mean, if you see a pile of money and you go, oh my God, look at all that money. You pick it up, you flip through it. You hold it, you're like, look at this stack of cash. Holy shit. And Joe just stands there and looks in this empty drawer. (laughs) And uh, her good exit line is, wow, I'm impressed. My tongue's hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have this weird changing of the gears where uh, he says, uh, d- the dad, David says to Blair, I underestimated you. And you know what? Next summer, I'm putting you on a job with real responsibility. No Mickey Mouse positions. And I'm like, next summer, she has never worked for him over the summer that we've ever known. (laughs) And then she says, thanks, but no thanks. Because, okay, get prepared. Get out your neck brace, people, because it's whiplash time. She's been thinking all night. Gunderson Mills has been looking for an intern in their design department. And Blair thinks she could get that position. And he says, but why not get a position in our design department at Warner? We could, we could handle that. We could take you in. And she says, I think I'll grow faster out of the hothouse. The hothouse. Uh, you know, I think you're a ninny and that's a bunch of piffle.
1: <laughs>
0: How about you and me 23 skidoo out of this joint? Go get a tin type, then <laughs> head on over to the hothouse. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what, who says that? It's so.
1: Nobody funny. in the 80s ever
0: said that. Exactly. Ever. It's like, in the words of Sarah French, what are you, 80? <laughs> who brings a glazed marble bunt cake to a party? What are you? <laughs> <laughs> Actual quote from Sarah French. God, I love that girl so much. So the last word is that he, David says to Blair, but you realize that Gunderson Mills is our main competitor. And Blair says, <gasps> I know. And he just looks at her and says, go easy on us, okay? Freeze frame, roll credits, end of show.
1: What? What's
0: happening, Maddie? What's happening?
1: I was so excited about the freeze frame thing because that was such a that was such a product of 80s television, oh. <laughs> the, you know.
0: So, so okay. So the episode is over now. Uh, my my thing, Maddie. You know, I'm going to be sending my notes back to the writers back in the time machine. Yes, is, to my liking, because we know that's really ultimately what the show needs to be. It needs to be to my liking and nobody else's. That's why. I- <laughs> Here we go. The thing of Blair being artistic. This has been a through line since very early in the show. I think going all the way back to season one, in fact. Mm -hmm. He keeps kind of tapping it and then running away. And then they'll touch upon it and they'll run away. Last season, we had an entire episode called Dream Marriage, where it was Blair having a nightmare, thinking ahead to the future, to the year 2000. Where, if she were to marry the guy that she was thinking of marrying, how different her life would be. And the big discovery of this this is season five, episode 20. So, this is a year ago, was that she abandoned herself to become a family person and to be a wife, as opposed to trying to have a career and a life of her own. And it was the discovery that she abandoned her art in this nightmare. And so as soon as she was awake and realized it's not too late, I can still, you know, fix things type of a deal, her Ebenezer Scrooge moment. It was, mm-hmm. I'm signing up for art classes because we know she, she was a painter and an illustrator. And um... oh, she also drew the image of Joe's mother at the beginning of this season to be printed on the pizza boxes when they decided to try to sell Joe's mother's pizza. So that has been a teeny tiny little through line and then it's never followed through with and and it continues to not be as the show progresses because Blair ends up going to law school and ends up becoming a lawyer. Um, But I always was like, why didn't they lean harder into this whereby she could be the businesswoman with the big corporation of her father's to inherit, but it's Warner Textiles. Why couldn't she be part of the fashion department or something in the creative end? Why couldn't she be Angela Bauer,
1: marketing? Just
0: marketing. Is that what it was in marketing? Yeah. Exactly. This creativity and art in marketing, and um, so uh, we're kind of back to this thing where. Number one, she wants to do an internship at the competitive company. Oh, you're Blair Warner, the daughter of Warner Industries, David Warner. Yeah, come on in. Learn all of our proprietary secrets. Can't imagine that would go badly. (laughs) Bitch, you ain't going to get that internship. (laughs) And, you know, the deal is why couldn't she have taken the job at her father's company? But have it be more of a, daddy, I know you think you want me to run the company someday. I'm more interested in this other aspect. I want to explore that. That would have been all that we needed. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is that Mrs. Garrett has gone for four days. All of these (laughs) these sweeping changes for four days. In actuality, they could have fixed it simply with Mrs. Garrett having a family emergency, which is why we had to take her to the airport yesterday. When is Mrs. Garrett going to be back? We don't know. That would have created a much different environment of, okay, we are, this is really us now. This is not temporary. This is (laughs) somewhat permanent until further notice. So we do need to start thinking who is in charge. That would make sense, totally. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, but you said, you said earlier that they filmed filmed them and then they just threw the order out and just did whatever they wanted right yeah to keep mrs garrett from being missing from the last six as opposed to sporadically throughout the season right
0: but we don't know means that her sick aunt could have made a miraculous recovery in 24 hours and she's back that's true but they don't know that that's why they're having to make these bigger uh grander scheme plans um Uh, here's my thing. I think what's bothering me that I dislike about this episode is that, you know, there is the old TV trope of a group of friends or a group of people together and one person ends up in charge in the boss position and they get a little too big for their britches. Of course. And everybody resents them and hates them. And then they get their comeuppance.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really seem like there's there's a lesson that is imparted Mm. through this at all yeah really
0: what did Blair need to learn and how did Blair change I'm not sure either of those things were clear no
1: they they definitely were not I mean I mean maybe it was maybe the lesson was to treat your treat your friends and your employees with respect or they will not uh work with you but again it's but that wasn't
0: a huge conflict it yeah was, it wasn't been, huge. The, the stores open late you guys are going to stay right and they're like no we got a date tough shit and she freely admits if i were them i would have deserted me too she admits absolutely dad so there's not even a sense of oh can you believe they did this to me after all that i'm trying to do to improve this place like absolutely that would have been a, a little more interesting angle it would have been a little more cliched cliche never. on the facts
1: of life never <laughs> never
0: Oh, well. Final thoughts of yours, my dear. I have spoken at length.
1: I have really enjoyed myself, first of all. Um, first of all, because it's wonderful to see your pretty little face um, but and to talk to you, of course. But I it was neat to re-watch an episode after being so far removed from it.
0: Um, Yes, I'm still angry that there was no
1: Charlotte Ray. Um,
0: (laughs) We got to get you a Mrs. Garrett episode before she's gone at the end of next- Oh my
1: God, I know. Well, but I do also love Cloris Leachman. But no, it was really nice to um, experience it again. And I had a good time.
0: Well, Maddie, my love, God, it's been so great talking to you and hearing you and doing all of our sidebar references. (laughs) There are
1: thousands and some uh, we didn't even get to.
0: (laughs) I know we have so many more, so many more. Well, here's looking forward to uh, things getting a little bit more normal where we can get together and see each other in person. So until next time, I cannot wait to see your face. I cannot wait to hug you. And until then, smooches, my love and goodbye.
1: Love you, my dear.
0: Mwah! Mwah! And there you have it. That was Maddie McDermott. I am still struggling. After editing the show, going through my uh, difficulty with pinpointing what it is about this episode that needed to be tweaked to make it better. It's, uh, it's so weird. I don't think an episode has ever quite stumped me like this. And the only thing I'm thinking I didn't really touch on is that maybe Blair's dad is the key, is the thing that would have tied this all better together for me. Uh, maybe she wanted to prove something to him. I mean, the seedlings of that are there, but like everything else, it's underdeveloped. But maybe at the end of it all, she could have said to him, Daddy, I don't think I'm cut out for this kind of work, for this kind of leadership. Honestly, I'd rather do something more creative and artistic, but I worry you won't be proud of me. And then her dad, David, could tell her that he is proud of her and always will be proud of her, and then he could have pointed out how she impressed him so much because, number one, she admitted that she screwed up, and then she didn't buckle when she needed to step up to the plate and fix the problem. She rolled up her sleeves, dug in, took care of everybody in the shop, and even got rid of some <laughs> ruffians who were threatening to must the place up. So he could have said to her, sweetie, those are the qualities of a successful person, whether they're a leader in business or whether they're in the design department or marketing. No matter what line of work you get into, that is the quality that makes you a Warner. Huh? Huh? What do you think? You like that? I mean, there are cliches in here. There are sitcom other tropes I'm putting in here. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they'd they be very, very at home in this show. We've said that before. Sometimes uh, the, when the cliches are missing is when the problem happens. But I don't know. What do you think? Leave a comment somewhere. Tell me what you think about that. So let's move on ahead. Guys, we only have two more episodes this season that is crazy next week i'm going to be watching season six episode 25 called bus stop you can watch the show for free at dailymotion.com i'll post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. and that is all for now thank you so much as always for listening to this week's show and remember the facts of life are all about you Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Visit my website, facethefactspod.com, for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras from the digital cutting room floor, links to my social media, and ways that you can support the show financially. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever fine podcasts are found. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.